You're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In, brought to you from the Grandma Sophia's Podcast Network. This is the podcast where we watch, review, and discuss two movies randomly selected from a list of over 2,000. This time, we've got The Big Boss, a.k.a. Fists of Fury, as it was released originally in North America, starring Bruce Lee. And we have Mandy, starring the great Nicolas Cage. I am your host, Patrick, and I am joined, as usual, by my friend... Jim, hello everybody. Hello, Patrick. How are you, pal? I am great. It was wonderful to get some Bruce Lee back in my life. And you know what? Nicolas Cage, he's season three's MVP. This is what the <laughs> third time he's popped up now, right? Yeah. The well, Rock and Face Off. Like, we can't get rid of him. Yeah, and we only you know, had hey, Bruce Lee twice, some... I'm pretty sure. Yeah, well, we've had some pretend ones as well. And a dead one. Yeah, yeah, literal, real-life dead. <laughs> In his Real-life dead, Bruce Lee, yes. <laughs> Jim, before we started recording, you were telling me about some of your difficulties in finding the big boss. If you are a Canadian listener... Katie, you listening? You're probably going to find it hard to find this. But as Patrick and I were talking about before we started recording, the big boss is also known as Fists of Fury, plural Fists... Yes, because Fist of Fury is a different movie, I would imagine, and I don't know this for certain because I didn't read too much into this because that's this is your job because you're covering this movie. But <laughs> okay, listen. <laughs> I had seen Fist of Fury originally. That's the singular fist. I, I had only single fisted before. <laughs> I've never double fisted until recently. Oh, well, we can double fist together sometime for this Exactly, podcast. exactly. But so I, I assume... <laughs> The Big Boss was titled Fists of Fury in North America because it probably came out there after Fist of Fury, even though this was released in 71, at least in Hong Kong, and Fist Fist of Fury, singular, was released in 72, so that actually came later, was shot later, but it was probably released in North America earlier. Oh yeah, in North America, was, The Big Boss was, was released December 1st of 1972, so yeah, you're right. Well, I'm not right, technically, because that doesn't mean Fist of Fury was released before. The, you know, Official at Hours came out in 1964 in Europe, but that came out in, like, 66 in the U.S., so who knows? Uh, Fist of Fury came out in 1973 in North America. Then I have no idea why they would have titled it that. <laughs> yeah, well, the other problem with this, it wasn't on Amazon Prime, it wasn't on Netflix, it wasn't on Tubi, it wasn't anywhere. I had to watch it on Daily Motion in two parts part one and two both were about 49 minutes long yeah i saw about an hour 40 version of this i think yeah yeah so also there's like five different versions of this movie there's like five different cuts yeah that's how it works unfortunately the the more and more foreign you get the more confusing (laughs) it is with with movie releases unfortunately with the exception of blade runner but like here like so the so the uncut version of the big boss is an hour and 55 minutes long the one that we watched okay. could either be the one that most of the world saw and it was an hour 40 minutes or the hour 39 minute one which was released in the u.s i just i just i just saw i just rented a dvd so whatever and let's see i don't have my dvd in front of me right now so i can't see who released it but okay so there's an hour 40 minute one that's the normal one there's hour 55 minute that's the uncut hour 39 minute for the u.s hour 41 minutes for the united kingdom <laughs> hour 42 minutes for argentina <laughs> like what is argentina on? really argentina is so special that they get their own cut i would assume you and i watch the same one and there's surprisingly a lot missing <laughs> from 
from this movie that a lot of missing shirts oh yeah yeah, that's yeah that's also true for sure okay so so i just i just uh have the dvd in my hands it says it's the 99 minute version okay yeah so hour 39 yeah so you and i watched the same one Mm-hmm. But you watched okay. it with an English dub. I watched mine with subtitles that a lot of the time were spelled incorrectly and also... Oh, no. Some some <laughs> hack. a lot of sense. Well, you know what? It, and it's funny. It's possible you and I had the same t- subtitles because I put the sub... Because I did watch the dub version, but I turned the subtitles on at one point because, you know, the audio quality from from early 70s Hong Kong movie, you know, it's not the best sometimes. So I put on the subtitles and it's like... It was like an impressionistic with how it related <laughs> to what was actually being said. It was like vaguely uh-huh. similar, but it was completely different. Oh, like I good. don't, I, I, I kept it on for like two or three minutes. I don't think there was a single time where they like matched up with like a precise sentence. It would generally be the same general <laughs> idea, but, and I don't remember seeing any typos or, or spelling errors, but maybe. Yeah, mine had a lot. That's all I'll say about that. But I guess let's get into it. There have been superheroes, supervillains, and super movies, but there has never been anything like karate and kung fu. And Bruce Lee, he's the man with the fists of fury. The Big Boss, released in December of 71. I guess this is kind of like the period where Bruce Lee was at his height, because he died in, what, 73? Well, yeah, I don't think he kept growing after this. He is a 30-year-old man or whatever. This movie was shot in Thailand. It is a Hong Kong production, though. From the the um, Raymond Chow, who, um, he, he did Game of Death. Like he, he... Yes, yeah. I, I think he was just a huge producer in Hong Kong. He's probably the biggest producer in Hong Kong at the time. But in general, he's kind of responsible for the, all the like early Jackie Chan movies, all these like kung fu stars. I'm sure he did stuff other than kung fu, but you know. Interestingly enough, Bruce Lee was supposed to fly direct to Thailand from the U.S., but he wanted to go to Hong Kong to quote unquote make some telephone calls and <laughs> visit with some old friends. This sounds like he's up to something illegal. I know. <laughs> just, maybe it's just your tone, the way you're saying it. Well, but, but I'm like, oh mean? my god. Oh, I, I gotta mean... go to Hong Kong to make some telephone calls. What the fuck does that even mean? Anyway, so when he was in Hong Kong, all these like different studios were trying to poach him. And apparently he was a real man of his word. And he was like, listen, I'm, listen you're not poaching me. I signed on to do this movie. I'm doing this movie. Yeah, I know the, Sh- I know the Shaw brothers really wanted him. And the Shaw brothers were, at the time, the preeminent studio in hong kong i don't even know if they were actually brothers but they ripped off like the warner brothers logo like they were like, we're the <laughs> shaw brothers and they were like huge i think raymond chow and golden harvest eventually overtook them and it's probably because of bruce lee when this movie came out this was like the most the highest grossing hong kong movie oh. when it came out and i think that's in hong kong maybe in the u.s as well but but you know bruce lee finds himself in thailand and this is also like I forget the name of the person who was originally directing this movie, but Bruce apparently wrote to his wife. He was like, this person's another, uh, I'm paraphrasing here. He's like, this person's another, you know, piece of shit director who thinks who okay. thinks they're somebody, <laughs> you know, and they're just a director. I think he got along with most of his castmates, but there was an infamous okay. issue on set. Wait, wait, a Bruce Lee related incident on <laughs> set? I sure hope it's it's not the crow we're talking about. <laughs> 
Uh, this one's far less severe. He lost a contact lens. Oh, that's nothing. But he started freaking out and he shut production down for like an hour and a half and got Just everybody to, to scour the floor for his contact <laughs> lens. And then eventually, Bruce Lee actually found his contact. And then the director okay. had like written to somebody and he said, this is what happened today on set. Production was shut down for like an hour and a half. Bruce lost his contact lens and then he eventually found it. And he said, and I quote, I think Bruce had it in his pocket, and he just wanted to shut down production to be a diva. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, maybe. Who knows? But the real movie begins when Bruce and his, and I think it's his uncle, right, arrive in Thailand. Like, there's something weird going on here, this whole family dynamic, and I'm confused. But him and his uncle show up in Thailand. His uncle is taking him to Thailand to introduce him to his nephew, a.k.a. one of Bruce's cousins, a fella by the name of Shu Chen. And I guess, like, it's hard for people to find work in China, so they've come to Thailand where there's a bunch of other Chinese nationals hanging out, working. By the way, so this is the second Bruce Lee movie we've covered, and this one has by far more fighting in it than Game of Death, but I don't know if it has more Bruce Lee fighting. That's a a good point, yes, because Bruce Lee, he only fights in Game of Death basically in the last act because it's all fake bruce lee's before that because bruce lee died before they decided to make that into a full-length movie but yeah here bruce lee he's taken a vow not to fight yeah his mother gave him like a fancy jade pendant and she was like don't fight don't get in trouble be be a good little bruce boy and he's like okay mom i promise i won't fight and we see this pretty much like 50 feet from the boat where him and his uncle get off they stop for a drink or something and these thugs roll up and start picking on this kid who's selling dumplings. And by picking on him, they just like steal his food and refuse to pay him mm-hmm. and then kind of push him around. And then this kid classic runs... like high school bullying, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, this kid kind of like runs out of frame and over towards this man who's just standing there who turns out to be Shu Chen. And he's like, ah, oh, they won't pay for the dumplings they took. And Cousin Shu is like, these fuckers. And starts just kind of like kicking the shit out of them. It's not like cool, refined martial arts like Bruce Lee does. It's kind of like street brawl in martial arts. You know what I mean? Yeah, that uh, that was what I felt, especially in the big fight scene at the factory or whatever, where it, it is just kind of people just fighting. Like it's not yeah yeah it's not refined you're, you're exactly right it doesn't feel like a martial arts movie it feels like an indiana jones movie or something like <laughs> yeah, except like, nobody pulls out a pistol like a, and shoots them yeah it, it's like a, it was like a barroom brawl but just no bar you know in like an old <laughs> uh, action movie there's also a great bit in this in this fight scene at the beginning of the movie where all four of these thugs start running away and Shu chases them and he's like come back here stop running you fucking pussies is pretty much what he calls them and they have to turn and fight him again But they all get scared off, and uh, the uncle goes, oh my god, that dude who's absolutely demolishing over there, that's that's your cousin, that's my nephew. Let's go over and meet him. (laughs) So the both of them go over, say hi to Shu, and Shu's like, oh my god, third uncle, which I guess that's uncle three times removed i like i i, I don't understand what's going yeah, on it's it may his third oldest uncle you know Maybe, yeah, who knows yeah. i i i don't think that whatever i don't think i got that line in my movie so i'm just you know oh okay yeah know, well welcome the to the daily motion version of canada <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he's like hey uncle i'm gonna take you and bruce back to my house where i live with like 15 other men and one woman and the dumpling kid they all call each other brother but I don't think any of them are related. I think they're all just like friends or like all Chinese nationals that came over for work in Thailand. 
in some Shakespeare plays, they re- characters who aren't related to each other refer to themselves as refer to each other as cuz, like cousin, I think. Oh, okay. Just a term of affection. So anyways, the uncle and Bruce and all these people, they're all meeting each other. And the uncle goes, look, like I brought Bruce here. He, he can't find work in China. Can you help him? And she was like, yeah, I knew you were coming. I've already spoken to my ice factory manager, supervisor, whatever. And he said he'll find a job for Bruce. So, And also they call it a factory, but it's really like an ice packing plant. Like they just make ice and then put it on a truck and then the truck drives away. I mean, well, I guess I don't know the technical definition for factory, but I well, mean, I'll tell you. I, here's a quick. It little sounds aside. like a factory to me. My dad, when he was a kid in Toronto in like the '60s, was working at an ice packing plant. That's what they called an ice packing plant. And this kid who just started, they were showing him how to like unclog jammed ice out of this like ice cutting machine, and you just kick it. And you're not supposed to. You're supposed to turn everything off and like remove the ice and whatever. Anyways, one day, this kid went to go kick this block of ice. It was like his second shift ever. And he fell into the machine and just started sawing his leg right up through the center. And then my dad quit the ice packing plant. So there you go. Fun story. What the fuck? Yeah. So this ice factory that everybody's working at, like everybody who lives in this house works at this factory. Again, Shu gets Bruce a job there pretty quickly. And before he actually starts there... They're like hanging out one night and there's a woman crying and you see that people are gambling and you see that she was a really nice guy. He, you know, this guy lost all of his money and he gives this guy who's down on his luck 200 bucks after he proves that they're playing with like weighted dice in this gambling hall. And this has nothing to do with the story other than to prove that she was a nice guy. So the next day, Bruce starts at the plant and there's this kind of angry, grumpy looking foreman. Wait, is this the is this the big boss we're talking about, or the, no, no? The, the this is guy? this is the foreman yes, at the at the plant. Okay. Bruce is like, okay, what do you want me to do? And the guy goes, well, I get to work. And Bruce is like, yeah, but like, what job do you want me to do? <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, help them load ice. So they're pushing these big giant slabs of ice down this like ramp into like like a building or something where they pack it and put it on a truck or something. I don't know. And Bruce, being Bruce Lee, goes, okay, I can do that. He kind of like Dragon Ball Z punches this block of ice down this ramp and he hits it so hard that it breaks through like this guardrail and hits the ground and breaks. <laughs> and mm-hmm. These two workers run over and there's like bags of stuff inside the ice and they're like, and they're like, what is this? Is it drugs or something? I don't know. In other words, Bruce Lee could have saved uh, that one guy's leg. The one, your dad? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he might have lost a hand in the process, but... (laughs) Yeah, dude, yeah, he could have saved that poor kid's leg. Dude, the kid was like 11 or something. Oh, my God. What is this, Victorian Canada? What the (laughs) hell is this? (laughs) Were there no chimney sweep jobs available? No, you could be a pickpocket. Chimney sweeps were all taken. Oro's ice plant. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, Artful Dodgers lost his leg. (laughs) Bruce Lee shows... No emotions in this movie whatsoever until like the last twenty minutes, maybe. No, oh, there's in 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 the big fight scene where he like slightly gets involved just to kind of tell people to stop. There's a scene where like someone gets kind of pushed into him, and then he just gets pissed. Yeah, like, I like that. that, a that lot. <laughs> but that's that's halfway through the movie though. So anyway, Bruce breaks this ice. These guys see drugs inside. And then it's the end of the shift. So everybody's packing up and going home, back to their big giant house they all live in together. And these two ice plant workers get stopped by the foreman. And he's like, hey, guys, the boss wants to see you. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. 
And I love this scene so much because everything the bad guys do in this movie doesn't make sense. These two workers get called into the, to their boss's office. Not the big boss, but little boss. The guy who runs the ice packing plant. Not not Asian Alan Ruck, because that's what I'll refer to the big boss as. Okay. He, looked <laughs> he looked like Alan Ruck from Succession or Ferris Bueller, just yeah, Asian. Yeah, he did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they go in and talk to this boss, and this boss is like, Hey guys, nice to see you. You're working really hard. Here, here's 2,000 bucks. And they're like, what? Why? And he goes, because uh, you found something in the ice, didn't you? And they were like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, well, it's drugs. Now you can't tell anybody because it's a very profitable business. This whole ice packing plant is just a front for drug trafficking. And now that you know, we're going to cut you in on the profits. And they're like, which, oh, hang on. uh, I'm not disagreeing with anything you've said here, but this is the entire plot of Turner and Hooch. I'm just throwing that out there. It <laughs> it's, it's like a fish. It's like a fish plant or something. But yeah, yeah they definitely yeah. hide drugs in the ice in Turner and Hooch, and that's what gets people murdered. Cut it! No, they're running out of doors. I listen. I've been on record. Turner and Hooch is one of the greatest films ever made. Dude, I love Turner and Hooch. It's by the way, there is a Hooch type dog in Mandy in like one shot. It yeah, it's just a dog like to Bordeaux. Okay. French Mastiff. Uh, so it's a drunk it's a drunk dog? <laughs> uh, hey, who, a who just drunk? Hooch drinks beer. He doesn't drink Bordeaux wine, but he drinks oh, beer. Oh, you're right. But yeah, Turner and Hooch, quite possibly coming up later. It's definitely on the short list of films that I might pick for our um, end of season when you and I pick movies. Turner and Hooch is definitely one I've been considering. Oh, then I'm going to pick the Starsky and Hutch uh, with Owen Wilson and uh, Ben Stiller. It's not on the list. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, at least I thought you were going to say K9 with uh, Jim Belushi. Or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's on it either. Oh, it might yeah. be, though. I'm not sure. I've never seen it. So these two workers who think they've hit it big, they're on their way home. And literally, they're steps out of their boss's door when the foreman and these other thugs at the boss's orders, just jump out from the bushes and like one guy like axes one of the f- workers in the head and then they stab the other one in the gut and kill them. And they go missing. And uh, well, everybody at the house... Did they go missing? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, to, well, to, 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 to everyone else, they go missing. Yeah, exactly. Yes. exactly yeah. Uh, we don't know what happened to them. They just disappear. <laughs> yeah, so everybody at the house is like, hey, where's our, our buddies? And they're like, I don't know. I think the boss wanted to talk to them. And they're like, oh, okay, well, they'll be home later tonight. Well, they never show up. People are a little upset by that. They don't know what's happened to their friends. They don't know when they're coming back. So Shu, I think, approaches the boss of the ice plant. And he was like, hey, where are our friends? Like, they're gone. They're missing. You know, nobody's seen them. Nobody's heard them. They were apparently in your office last night. And, he, and the boss is like, <laughs> I don't know where they went afterwards. I, just, I told them to go home. And he goes, actually, I think I sent them up to the other boss's house, the big boss's house. Oh, <laughs> You'll recognize it. It's the one with the 1965 Ferrari parked outside. <laughs> actually, do you know what? You you were actually close. That house actually is a Buddhist temple and was built in 1963. Okay. Well, I listen. I just I don't. I'm sure I'm wrong about the year of the Ferrari from Ferris. Yeah, I think it's probably also, the 80s. So. Well, no, the movie takes place. It's it's an older car. You're right. I don't listen. But yeah, <clears throat> listen. Let's just move on. I th- I'm just gonna embarrass myself. So Shu goes up to the big boss and he's like, "Hey, w- w- with a friend, by the way, with a coworker." 
And he goes, hey, our friends are missing. They saw our direct supervisor last night. Then they came up to see you, apparently, and they're gone. And this fucking big boss, he's a fucking... 1961 is the uh, Ferrari, by the way. Oh, okay. So wow. I was wrong. I just I just, 60, I just threw 65 Listen, out you were close, man. I didn't feel good about it. I thought it was going to be earlier, but, you know. Listen, I, I'm still going to give you the points. You're only a couple years off. <laughs> yeah, you said 80s. I mean, yeah, sure. I did, yeah. So let's. I'm going to lose all the points on that one. Jim negative 15 Patrick <laughs> yeah, can we, 2 Can we keep a score at the end of every podcast How many points I lose <laughs> Absolutely And of course me editing I can just edit out all the times I, I lose points if I want to <laughs> <laughs> Oh you son of a bitch I knew that's why This big boss by the way I forgot to mention there's a brief scene Where we see him like hanging out smoking like A hookah or like a water yeah. pipe or something. It's, it's like a hookah slash pipe It was a weird device but i I figured that caught your eye because you're one of those weirdos that uses pipes like uh gandalf and yeah yeah you're right yeah yeah like i'm I'm not from the century gay wizard (laughs) well (laughs) gandalf's not gay i mean the ian mckellen is Dumbledore is at at a certain point once jk rowling decided he was yeah of course yeah yeah, I don't think Gandalf's ever gay. He just That's okay. has just a call thing me. for he just has a thing for little men, okay? <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah, so this big boss, he's like smoking something weird. And he's watching his son sparring with like a bunch of thugs, and everybody's kind of shit. Then the big boss goes, Hey son, step aside, watch daddy do this. And he starts like flipping around and jumping like ten feet above their heads and doing like all this mm-hmm. weird jumping. Some wire wire stuff. Exactly, yeah. One hundred percent. Also, this is great because it should come as no surprise. At one point later in the film, Bruce Lee fights this guy. And, and I like, because he's just like the boss. Like, he's just a drug guy. You wouldn't necessarily think he can fight. But then, oh, we established that he's this, like, super skilled martial artist. He's proficient in, in, in the martial arts. He's pretty good at martial arts, but he's not very good at brushing his teeth. Oh, yeah. Listen, it was the... It was the 70s. He's yeah. probably from British Hong Kong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but this uh, this, this stinky-mouthed bastard, he's hanging out inside of his house. <laughs> and Shu, who can brush his teeth, and his co-worker... He just chooses not to. Well, Shu and, his, Shu and his buddy show up, and they're like, Hey, Mr. Big Boss, it's a pleasure meeting you. Our friends are missing. They were apparently here. Where did they go? And, dude, the guy's an idiot. And, again, all the bad guys in this movie are stupid. They're just like, Oh, well, um, they did a really good job, and I've promoted them. He's like, Well, where are they now? Oh, well, they're not here right now. They're just away. They'll be back. Well, you know, if they don't show up, I'll, I'll contact the police and say that they're missing. And then Shu's like, Okay, look, I'm not an idiot. I think you've murdered them, and I'm going to go straight to the authorities right now. So Shu runs out with his buddy. He's gonna, he, he, you know, he's gonna go to the police. And this guy's seeing his life flash before his eyes. He's like, I, I, I gotta stop him. So he gets all of his thugs to just kind of jump Shu and his buddy. And this is actually a really cool fight scene. Shu and his buddy get surrounded by like, I don't know, like ten guys, and they've all got weapons, like clubs, knives, a chain. And these two guys are giving it their all. And like, and again, it's not like a refined kind of looking martial arts style. But it is this like rough and tumble thing, and like Shu's getting a chain wrapped around his neck, and he's just kicking people in the gut, and the nuts, and in the head. It's like it's like a really neat fight piece, a, a set piece, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> what the fuck? I don't know. Just words are failing you. Right yeah, now. yeah, I don't know what I'm saying now. I'm just. Like... Or you're failing them. Eventually, Shu's buddy gets, I think, like axed in the back, and then Shu runs over to help him, and then he gets stabbed in the gut, and he gets killed, and that's it for old Shu, baby. 
Looks like the shoe's on the other foot now. Well, every, like all of his friends back at home realize that he's missing. He hasn't come back. It's like nighttime. Bruce Lee gets up. He goes, guys, look, it's like 1230. He's not coming back tonight. Let's all go to bed. So the next day they go to the factory and everybody's like kicking up a fuss to the to the big boss. Or sorry, to, to the not big boss, the littler boss. They're like, look, shoe's gone. That The other guy's gone. And there's, you know, our two other friends are gone. There's four people missing now. Where the fuck are they? And stop telling us you're just going to call the police because like, you know, something's going on here. And the foreman, he's ringing this bell trying to get everybody to go back to work, but they're all refusing. And then this big fight breaks out. And you got, like, the foreman and a couple other, like, boss-like individuals fighting, like, 20 workers. And they've all got, like, ice... Uh, uh... (laughs) My words really are failing. They've all got, uh, ice things, you know? (laughs) Picks, hooks, trays, cubes. Yeah, all those things. They've got, like, ice clamper claws. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They ice ice baby listen stop it they've, they've all got to stop they've all got like ice pick things and these claw things and they're fighting the foreman and all of his buddies it's all just like this rough and tumble sort of thing where people are just bashing people's heads into the ground and hitting each other with shovels and stuff and as it looks like the the workers are going to win a whole busload of the big bosses like elite thugs show up and they've all got knives and stuff so they just start kicking the crap out of all the workers. And then Bruce Lee, who's minding his own business, because again, he has like this jade pendant on that his mom gave him. And she promised, she was like, ah, Bruce, don't fight. And he goes, okay, mom, I promise. Well, he's just fucking minding his own business, literally leaning against a wall. And one of these guys comes up and just punches him in the face. <laughs> just clocks him one. And then rips his pendant off. And Bruce Lee goes fucking berserk. He just starts screaming, and he just literally takes out two guys in, like, a matter of seconds. Just like, one kick, two kick, one kick. Two guys are down on the floor, and he just screams, Everybody stop fighting! If anybody wants to fight, you can fight me! (laughs) And then the littler boss calls an end to the fight. He goes, okay, Bruce, my foreman, and my other thugs all come into my office now. So they all walk away, and it turns out, because Bruce was so good at fighting and kicking ass, that he's been promoted to foreman. (laughs) I guess that's how that works in Thailand. Well, you know, the most famous foreman, George, was a pretty good fighter. <laughs> that would be the best joke <laughs> you've ever said. <laughs> I mean, come on. George Foreman. <laughs> I'm going to pass out. So Bruce Lee, you know, a la George Foreman, has been promoted. He's then kind of like invited out to these fancy dinners and stuff. And by these fancy dinners, I mean one specific fancy dinner. Sure. With the littler boss and the old foreman and some other people and a prostitute. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Lee gets absolutely fucked up on, on a bottle of Hennessy, which I guess was pretty big shit for Thailand back in 1971. This is big shit now. Hennessy is... You know how many Drake songs mention Hennessy? That stuff Yeah, is... but Drake's a loser, dude. I know he is, but <laughs> you know, it's not just Drake. It's other... Hennessy is like... It's a cognac, right? I think so. Is that what it is? Okay. I think so. So Bruce is kind of schmoozing it up, and all of his friends think that he's lost sight of what they're trying to accomplish, which is, you know, find all of their four missing friends, and... It really starts when, like, Bruce doesn't come home after he's been promoted. Instead, he stays and hangs out with this prostitute. And the girl that lives with Bruce and all the other boys at the house sees him coming out of the brothel. Which, Patrick, when you were watching this, maybe... I I know we watched a a version that was the same runtime 
but you know perhaps you had a slightly different version did you see a scene where he actually went back to the brothel with the prostitute yeah i think so okay well i didn't get that because it went for me it, okay <laughs> it went straight from like him drinking to okay yeah no. then waking up the next morning like no, there, a, there was the, there was a nude scene in my version for sure. oh yeah i didn't get that god damn it no, it was crazy. She had three boobs. Like, Whoa! I gotta go back and watch it. Daily motion. Um, <laughs> there are three boobs. There's a lot more than just daily motion. <laughs> the hell are you talking about? I, I, I think know. you just lost another point. I don't know what I'm you're losing saying. my mind. Uh, so, yeah. So, Bruce is like, you know, uh, he's coming out of this brothel. And everybody thinks he's, you know, not being a good friend. And it's not really true. He keeps asking the bosses. He's like, hey, where are my buddies? And they're like, oh, we don't know. We're going to notify the cops, though. We'll let you know if we hear anything. And because he's a foreman now and because it looks like he isn't doing anything, we have like a solid like 20-minute chunk in the movie where he just loses the respect of all of his friends. So when his friends have lost all hope in Bruce, he's like, look, I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else for the night. I don't care. And he goes back to this brothel where he was, you know, making sweet, sweet love to this sweet, sweet Thai lady. Well, it's Thai. Are we certain she's a lady? <laughs> <laughs> so what did you see in Bangkok? Oh, I saw the Golden Temple, man. Beautiful it was. Yeah, what, what else? Uh, well, there's a, there's a river market, right? All the little boats come up and they've got all the Michael, fresh Michael, produce. Michael, on Michael, them. Michael, Michael, come on. Tell me about the lady boys. <laughs> Oh, you mean them transsexuals? I've I seen them, but, you know, they're disgusting. I kept away from them. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Fascinating creatures, though. <laughs> Look, looks like a lady, but uh, really it's a man. I don't find them attractive. It's just confusing. She says, look, Bruce, i got to be honest with you. Your friends are probably dead. The ice packing plant isn't really an ice packing plant. It's a, it's a, it's a cover for, for this drug trafficking operation. And if you don't believe me, man, you should go to the ice plant tonight and break open a slab of ice and you'll find drugs inside. He goes, thanks a bunch. And he leaves. And as soon as he leaves, she gets killed by the son of the big boss. And so Bruce goes over to this to the plant and he busts open a thing of ice and he pulls this bag of drugs out. And he goes, no fucking way. There's fucking drugs in this ice, dude. And then he turns, and he sees one of his friends frozen in a block of ice. As he's about to sneak out of there, the lights come on, and there's the big boss's son with all these goons, and they're going to beat the shit out of Bruce Lee. And this is also another really interesting fight scene. I don't know if it's, like, good. Like, I don't know if any of the fights in this movie are really, like, good. You know what I mean? But it's just interesting, I guess. Yeah, I, I'll say they weren't as good as I was hoping they would be. In, you know, a Bruce Lee movie, whether it's um, the the few fight scenes he has in Game of Death, those are all awesome. Fist of Fury, there's a scene where he takes on, like, a couple dozen guys at, like, a karate dojo or something, and that's, like, amazing. Nothing quite that awesome in this, unfortunately. Even the fake Bruce Lees in Game of Death. Some of them were good. The, The one in the locker room was good. Yeah. What makes these fights fun to watch is that... Bruce Lee always starts out with like no weapons, but everybody else has a weapon and he just mm-hmm. works his way yeah. through the crowd picking up like 15 different weapons, killing somebody with it, then moving on to a new weapon and a new person. There, there's actually three great bits in this fight scene. The one is like they start fighting in like this, in like the actual plant and he kicks a guy through the wooden wall, which alerts all the other people outside that there's yeah. this fucking fight going on. <laughs> and it's like this comical like foghorn leghorn like outline 
Well, that one's that one's a, that one's a little later on where he's got. Oh, a guy that's later. Up to the he wall. does it more than once. Yeah, <laughs> because that looked funny. It did not look real. It looked like a, yeah. A well, he punches a guy too. so hard in the face that he falls through the wall and <laughs> leaves that foghorn leghorn Looney Tunes kind of kind of hole in the wall. But he does eventually kill the son of the big boss in a really cool way. What he does is he fucking punches the guy so hard in the gut that the guy just like vomits up a bunch of blood and then falls over dead. And Bruce yeah. Lee's standing there in like this power stance, which looks awesome. Borderline Sonny Chiba, some of the stuff was. I mean, uh, yeah. like it's not as brutal as that, but of all the Bruce Lee movies I've seen, this is definitely the most R-rated like, I was actually surprised when I rented this DVD. It said it was R-rated. And I was like, oh, well, you know, well, you know A Fistful well, of Dollars is R-rated. I didn't and, you, well, yeah, but even the violence, like the stabbings and stuff, like there's a decent amount of blood. So in this scene, Bruce runs back home and his hands and clothes are just like covered in blood. And I think in almost every Bruce Lee fight scene, he gets part of his shirt ripped off or his whole shirt ripped off. You're right, there's like a lot of blood. And in this scene in particular, he's just covered in blood and he runs home. I guess he's trying to figure out like what to do. And then he gets up to to run back out of the house and he slips in like a pool of blood. And he starts looking around and he realizes that his whole, like all of his friends in his house have been murdered. Mm-hmm. He runs outside to check on the woman and she's not there. But the dumpling kid has been stabbed in the back and he's laying on the bed dead. And in one of like five actual scenes where we see Bruce Lee act, he puts his hand up to his mouth in horror. So at this point, there's some more scenes that have been cut out and I didn't I didn't get many of them. We as the audience know, and I guess Bruce Lee knows that his lady friend has been kidnapped. But like right after this, in the version I watched, we cut to a scene where he's sitting by the river. And he throws, like, some of his belongings into the river, and he's, like, Mm -hmm. reminiscing about his friends that he just made here. And he goes, oh, I didn't get to—I didn't even know them that long. Just—I just met them, and, you know, now they're all dead. And my mom told me not to fight and get into trouble, but now I am, and I have to do this. I have to get into trouble. I have to Mm -hmm. stand up for my friends, or else I'm a fucking bitch. I don't know if you saw this scene. After that, he goes back to the brothel, and he picks up, like, this random prostitute who's hanging out, and— he bangs her, and then he leaves all of his money on her stomach. And on his way out, he grabs a paper bag full of potato chips. I remember one scene with a hooker. I don't remember. Yeah, so apparently there's two, and, and I didn't see any. <laughs> and maybe, maybe I remember this one too, and not the other one. I don't, I don't know. My version cut directly from him sitting by this river, and then him showing up at the big boss's house. He's eating like potato chips out of a bag. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do remember that. I thought that was so cool because that's how he starts the fight scene. And it's like, oh, this is awesome. He's just like so casual that he's just like snacking while he's kicking (laughs) these guys ass. Like, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, so exactly. So that's how he got the chips. So if you're watching any other version, you're like, what the fuck is he eating? How did he get this food? (laughs) Where did he go? So he got potato chips from a dirty brothel. Oh, which, by the way, fun trivia fact. (laughs) Fun trivia fact. I've been to that brothel. What? All the scenes filmed in the brothel were actually filmed on, like, a soundstage. Okay. They were originally going to film it in the real brothel that existed. Like, all the outside shots of that brothel were that actual brothel. But when they got in there, it was so dirty and it stunk so bad (laughs) that that nobody could film in there. They declared it, like, a health and safety hazard for the the crew and for the the actors. (laughs) Okay. And that ice packing plant still exists today. Okay. And the big boss's house, which is like a a Buddhist temple, also still exists today. So if you're ever in Thailand, you can go see the ice packing plant and the Buddhist temple. And hopefully find a cleaner brothel. 
Yeah, well, that one was torn down, and I, I wonder right. why. So Bruce gets this bag of tater chips, and he's eating them. And like you said, it's so cool because he just walks up to this fight so casually snacking on potato chips. And I think he, like, dodges a couple attacks and then fucking knocks a guy out, and he's still eating chips. And then the second guy comes up, and he throws his bag of chips away to deal with him. I was hoping he was going to be snacking the entire time. Oh, I, I, know. I wanted so cool. a version of this scene where he starts with chips and then like as this fight progresses, he gets to like more and more difficult foods to eat while you're <laughs> fighting someone. Like he's just got like barbecue ribs or something like that. <laughs> he's got like, cut it, open like a cantaloupe, you know, <laughs> like a lobster. Like he has to maybe, maybe he could pick up the lobster and, and like hold it and when the guy throws a punch he hits it and breaks the lobster and then he can just get down to eating you know <laughs> they, there could be a really fun scene like that if this oh, were, if this were a really silly comedy i would have loved to have seen that <laughs> he dispatches these guys pretty quickly and again another cool thing that he does is he's walking up to the big boss and one of the guys is still like alive and Bruce just has a knife and without even looking at the guy he fucking throws the knife behind him over his shoulder and hits the guy like right in the chest and it kills him mm-hmm. the big boss is just standing there holding like a bird cage like a fancy yeah, little bird, bird cage with some parakeets in it or something he very like lightly and gingerly throws the bird cage up into a tree and it's just hanging and then Bruce takes out another knife and just fucking <laughs> whips it at the bird cage, knocks it out of the tree, it hits the ground and breaks and the birds fly away. <laughs> and then the boss takes his glasses off and folds them because now it's getting serious, you know? How dare you fuck with my birds? This is like the climactic fight scene. This is the climax of the movie, but yeah. it doesn't really f- feel like that. And it's not like as cool as I was hoping it would be because the guy's kind of like an old man. They're doing like a lot of jumping around and they're doing like a lot of laying on the ground. <laughs> And slowly getting back up. And there might be a reason for that. And it's because Bruce Lee sprained his ankle. Like right before filming this scene. And they took him to a hospital. So he was like recuperating for like a couple days. And then when he got back it still wasn't totally healed. So he couldn't do like a lot of jumping and stuff. So he's dragging his leg a lot. Like if you go back and watch it. If anybody was going to bring that point up. The director was going to say oh well. Bruce is supposed to be physically exhausted by this point in the movie, so it, it just makes sense for his character to be dragging yeah, his leg like go. that. Interesting. I did not notice that. Yeah, like, it, there's a bit where I think they're both jumping in the air together, and they both land on the ground, and you see Bruce kind of very slowly get up, but his back leg is, like, really is like stretched out really far, and then he starts dragging it all over the place. And also, because of that, like, you know how there's, like, a lot of close-ups of them kicking each other, but it, but it's, like, it's just the feet, or them rolling yeah. around on the ground? All of that was filmed back in China, in Hong Kong, at a golf okay. course in, like, August of 1971. <laughs> okay. They rented out a golf course for a day and filmed Bruce Lee rolling around with somebody else's legs. That's not too surprising because they those almost feel like uh, insert shots or something because the, the kind of the awkward close-ups, sure. Yeah, but the exciting thing about this fight, because, again, it's just, like, lots of jumping around and rolling and shit. The exciting thing is that uh, the, the, the big boss steals some of Bruce Lee's knives and starts cutting them up, but then Bruce gets a knife back. Like, he, he wraps, like, a piece of, like, broken clothing around the guy's hand, kicks out one knife, which is an awesome shot, and then he gets the other knife and he stabs the big boss right in the stomach. And then Bruce Lee runs over to him and just kind of like shoves his fingers into his stomach and like squeezes him. <laughs> yeah, this was weird. 
<laughs> you just see shots of like blood coming out from like underneath his shirt. Yeah, which was strange. which was cool, but it gave me like Temple of Doom vibes. You know, like I thought oh, he could sure. rip out his stomach or something. I guess the big boss dies from pain or like passes out and he hits the ground, and Bruce Lee just starts beating the shit out of him <laughs> and then lays on top of him out of exhaustion. And while all that was happening, the lady friend, she got released from her, like, holding cell, her holding room, by a servant girl who had cigarette ash flicked at her earlier in the movie by the big boss, so she clearly doesn't like him. She releases him, or she releases her, pardon me, and the lady friend, she runs and gets the cops. And the cops show up as Bruce Lee's already done killed. done fuck all this entire movie. I know, yeah. I know, they haven't done anything. These cops run onto the, this Buddhist temple front lawn. And they go to grab Bruce Lee off him because it looks like he's just killed like 30 people, which he well, has. Well, because he has, yeah. <laughs> and he's covered in blood and scars. They go to touch him and he just kind of like growls. He's like, Arr! The lady's like, no, Bruce, no. They're the police. It's okay. It's over. And he's like, okay. And then they cuff him and then they walk him towards their police car. And that's the end of the movie. So, Patrick, how did you like <laughs> the big boss? I liked it a decent amount. It, I, it didn't blow me away. The fight scenes could have been better as far as um, a Bruce Lee martial arts picture goes. I would expect them to be better, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. I liked the climax. I liked how brutal him killing Alan Ruck was. That was a lot of fun. But, you know, it, it, it didn't do a whole lot to kind of stand out from just your typical action movie. The plot was kind of confusing and weird no not really confusing just not inspired it's just this boring i mean turner and hooch did it better but it's just this like um (laughs) like oh my friend is missing let me let my other friend go and deal with this oh now my other friend is also missing this isn't exciting yeah but yeah i mean i I like the you know the bare minimum of characterization for the bruce lee character with the i'm not i don't want to fight i won't fight until i absolutely have to that's fun, and I thought it was well performed by Bruce Lee from a like an actual acting standpoint. I thought his the scene where he just flips out at that big fight scene when uh, someone punches him in the face that was really well performed. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, just a, a tough a tough movie to like love, but you know, there's nothing wrong with it. Jim, what about you? You know, I agree with you on all of your points. Specifically, the Bruce Lee acting. Like, I know, I don't think he's ever really been known for his acting abilities, but... He's never been known for it. That doesn't necessarily mean he's, like, not any good. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But I also think this movie didn't really give him a lot to work with, because as you were kind of pointing out, it's a very repetitive story. I liked the movie. Will I watch it again? Probably. I don't know. I don't really have much to say about it, to be honest. It, it, It just kind of exists. There are things I liked about it. I don't really have any major issues with it but it was just fun to watch bruce lee and then some random chinese people kick some ass also huge missed opportunity to not include the elvis presley song big boss man (laughs) which you know i can't even picture any score in this movie oh i thought the music was strange because it was like it was like normal martial arts movie score for most of it right I mean, it's not as good as the Game of Death theme is incredible. Oh, it's awesome. You know, it's nothing like that. But there's a few moments, and I noticed it towards the end of the movie, where it sounded like really modern. I mean, I say modern. It sounded kind of like 80s synthy, which hmm. is in now. That's why it's kind of modern. But like, I think the scene when um, that 
servant girl like lets out Bruce Lee's cousin or whatever. I think that whatever piece of music was playing during that, I'm like, what the is this Beverly Hills Cop? What the hell is this? Like it was just really weird. I'm like, this was this type of music was around in the seventies. It was just strange. I don't hate the score, don't love it, but it's kind of interesting. I thought at times. I think this movie is more interesting from like just being part of Bruce Lee's catalog. Because, and, and, and that it is a Bruce Lee movie when he really doesn't do a lot of fighting in it. Like, we probably get the same amount of screen time of Bruce Lee actually fighting in this that we did Game of Death. Yeah, probably. And there's no Kareem in this one. It's just Bruce Lee fighting an old man and <laughs> punching a guy to death, which Asian might be my Alan favorite. Rock. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm happy that it exists, but it wasn't anything spectacular, especially for it being a Bruce Lee movie. So you want to talk about a movie that is kind of spectacular? Yeah, actually, before we get into Mandy, I want to say, you and I had this conversation a long, long time ago. I don't know if you about remember Cheddar it. Goblin? No. <laughs> okay, we can talk I about I remember this. I brought up Cheddar Goblin at some point in the podcast, and you didn't know what it was, and just, you was laughing your ass off because you thought I made it up. Like, <laughs> no, no, Cheddar, Cheddar Goblin is a thing. Mandy was a movie I kind of always wanted to see, but I just never got around to. Years ago, we were talking about Mandy might have been on this podcast and i said i haven't seen it and you said it's pretty good and you said and i quote you said i don't know if you'll like it okay i have no recollection of this but okay like the first hour i was like this is pretty cool and trippy but i'm just waiting for nick cage to go fucking berserk and then i loved Mm -hmm. the last hour of it i think i loved this movie i think i did it's interesting yeah I, i i don't know if i'd go full love with mandy but i like it quite a bit it's funny, I did not remember anything about it, really. I remember Cheddar Goblin, except the weirdly, I don't remember Cheddar Goblin. Like, I, I, I remember, like, Cheddar Goblin became like a meme. And so I knew the image of Cheddar Goblin. I didn't actually remember Cheddar Goblin coming up in the movie. I, I, I was certain that it did. You know, I remembered the overall gist of the plot and everything, but it, this movie felt pretty fresh for me. It's probably only the second time I had seen it. I, I must apologize in the past, such as last episode, I said this was uh, going to be on Shudder because it is a Shudder exclusive. It was at one point. Mm-hmm. So I guess the Shudder exclusive rights just, there's a Lapsed. there's a timetable for them because it's just not on Shudder anymore, but it's on Tubi. I had to rent it on YouTube. Yeah, at least it's a recent movie. It's going to be easier to find than The Big Boss. But Yeah, and when yeah, did it come uh, out? 20, 2017, 2018? 18, I think, yeah. And was this kind of Nick Cage's first big breakthrough back into like a semi kind of, or I, I, I guess out of semi-retirement or whatever? Well, he was never semi-retired because he was, he's been making 10 movies a year for as long as he's been alive, basically. It's just most of the movies are utter shit. I do think this is kind of the, the start of the Nicolas Cage renaissance, if you will. Yeah, he's a true you know, renaissance Because I think man. Pig and... A lot of the, what are the, some of the other? Oh, um, the unbearable weight of massive talent, like those I movies like come out later. Yeah, so I'm just looking at. Oh, he did. Mom and Dad was a year before this. Is Mom and Dad respected? He. Uh, yeah, it looks like it's relatively respected. He's also in that um, Renfield movie that just came out that nobody watched or nobody. Liked. I know. I was just I was disappointed by that. I was actually look, interested in seeing that, but yeah, what what he was doing before Mandy, with the exception of Mom and Dad, it was a lot of vengeance a love story what the hell is this the uss indianapolis men of courage which uh <laughs> my, my brother and i this is kind of a running joke with us because 
in Jaws, there's that famous USS Indianapolis mm-hmm. monologue. And the USS Indianapolis is a is an is an interesting story. And I remember I as a kid I had like read books on it. Like it was just kind of a fascinating thing. And I, you know, I was interested in sharks. And then it's like we heard they were making a movie about it. Like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then we heard Nicolas Cage was going to star in it. And it's like, well, it could go either way. You know, like, <laughs> we don't know. And then and then when the poster was released and I saw, my brother and I saw it, and it's like, oh, that's not a real movie. We just we just, we just knew. It looks like, like an asylum <laughs> oh, movie no. or something. Oh, no. But yeah, Nicolas Cage on a bit of a hot streak pretty much since Mandy because, I mean, he still makes a lot of shit, don't get me wrong. But he's done Color Out of Space. He's done Pig. He's done The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Like, it is some critically acclaimed films and, and critically acclaimed performances in those movies, too. It's nice to see him back. It, it is nice to see him back because he's, you know, I've, I've said this before on this podcast. He's a talented guy. When a filmmaker chooses to use him correctly, he's really good. Yeah, I think you have to be a filmmaker who knows how to use Nicolas Cage and the energy he brings. Yeah, because Nicolas Cage is always going to dial it up to 11 at one point or another. And you need the right movie around him where the 11 feels earned. Mm-hmm. And I think Mandy is that film. It's not the only film. I think Face Off is that film as well. <laughs> but Cage works probably best in kind of heightened films like not not where you're not really going for realism i say this i've never seen pig and and, you know i don't think pig is a movie like well apparently according to nick cage that's his favorite movie that he's ever made yeah i saw recently there was a thing where someone was asking him what are your five favorite nicholas cage movies i know he said pig was definitely his favorite i know mandy was in his top five i don't remember what the other three were so the rock better be on there and con air i mean you listen he's had a long career he can if he wants to go Peggy Sue got married, he can he can say that. He can say <laughs> leaving Las Vegas. He can say kick ass. I hope he doesn't because I hated that. But oh, I forgot about kick ass. Under the crimson primordial sky, the wretched warlock reached into the dark embrace. His fist closed around the serpent's eye. I need you to get me that girl I saw. Do you know what to do? You're a special one. Mandy. Mandy is a film that is inexplicably set in 1983. It takes place in the middle of nowhere. It is directed by Panos Kosmatos, who... Is he Greek? Yes and no. <laughs> well, listen, his, his father is George P. Kosmatos, a film director known for Rambo First Blood Part Two and some other movies. Tombstone, I believe he did. Cobra? Like, so, so some big movies, some kind of, at least in the case of Cobra, some kind of schlocky movies, um, <laughs> which which makes a little bit of sense that the guy making Mandy enjoys himself some schlock because it, it, it does seem like it. It's a heightened schlock. It's an elevated schlock. But yeah, Panos Cosmatos, when you look him up on Wikipedia, he's born in Rome. You know, the top paragraph on Wikipedia identifies him as Italian-Canadian. So not Greek. 
However, (laughs) when you enter his name into Wikipedia, when it like lists the page that you can click on, and it just gives a little bit of detail on it, it says Panos Cosmatos, Greek Canadian film director. What? (laughs) So what the, is this guy American, Canadian, Greek, Roman? (laughs) No, I, is his dad, is his dad American? His dad was from Italy, but his dad was Greek. Yeah. Oh. I wonder who wants to claim them, the Greeks or the Italians or the Canadians, because we'll fucking claim anybody. Well, yeah, the Canadians claim anybody, but, you know, if you watch this film, I'll tell you who wants to claim them, the weirdos. (laughs) Because Mandy is every weirdo's favorite film, I think, or if it's not, it should be. I like this movie. It has everything in it that I hate. And so we'll, we'll talk about this. I, I don't know why I like this movie as much as I do, but I do like it. But yeah, we open in the Shadow Mountains in 1983. Red, played by Nicolas Cage, he is a lumberjack, although we only see him working one time. And he comes home late at night to his girlfriend, Mandy, who I guess is an artist who also works at a gas station. Like a druggy hippie who's into like sword and sorcery novels do we ever see her voluntarily taking drugs yeah well she's smoking dope it could have been a cigarette couldn't have been i think i I, well i think everything was bathed in red in that scene that is true (laughs) you can't tell (laughs) yeah no but you're you're probably right but (laughs) i I um, like the idea of patrick i'm just watching i'm like that filthy that filthy bitch having a having a doob in the woods oh i can't even tell what it is <laughs> okay so mandy is played by andrea riseborough really accomplished actress at this point she was nominated for an academy award for best actress in a leading role this past year and jim i don't know if you know this is a controversial nomination uh-oh. This is the weirdest story going around in Hollywood, but she was in this one movie that literally no one saw. Okay. And then, <laughs> I don't know if it was because people liked her or, you know, like, were friends with her or for whatever reason, but a bunch of people just started, like, throwing parties for her and inviting, like, Academy voters. And it oh. was, like, completely borderline unethical like hey just nominate her for this oscar and so she was nominated but like the academy itself like admitted we need to review uh, you know the, the 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 process everything that went into this and i think there was you know i don't know where this came from but there were there were like some calls for her to be like banned from the oscars or well, something it's like what fair. yeah she didn't slap the host in the face or anything I mean, you know but <laughs> It was really strange. It was a strange story, but it was kind of funny. And I enjoyed that story because everything I've seen this woman in, she is fantastic. She's in an episode of Black Mirror. She's in Possession. She's in Birdman. She plays one of the actresses in the play. I think it's Michael Keaton's new girlfriend. Okay. She's awesome in like everything, although... I didn't see the movie that she was nominated for an Oscar for, but again, no one did, so. Was this the same movie where, like, the director was going around and writing letters to people? Probably, to, yeah. To screen her movie or to, like, watch her movie? Yeah, I think it nominated. was that. Yeah, it was very strange, but um, she's awesome here. She's Mandy. She wears Motley Crue shirts. She's got a weird scar around her eye. She looks a bit like uh, Blofeld. <laughs> Yeah, that's ex- you know what I couldn't put my finger on it, but you're right, it's Blofeld. <laughs> so they so they live in this house in the middle of the woods, and their their bedroom 
is first of all the bed appears to just be on the ground doesn't it but their bedroom is like on a cliff like overlooking all these trees like just beautiful stuff yeah overall this is just a beautiful movie the cinematography the lighting the color if i were to compare it to any movie that we've done on this podcast i would say suspiria in that like really beautiful cinematography really fantastical lighting yeah that was actually something i wrote down in my notes i was entranced by a lot of the lighting and colors in this movie sure so as i was saying just before we started talking about mandy the first hour i was kind of wondering where nicholas cage was or like or when he was gonna get pissed off but i felt like i was fucking stoned or like i was watching the movie and the whole first hour of the movie felt like it went by in about 20 minutes to me like i felt like i just traveled through time watching this movie yeah i I was just totally fixated sure yeah let's go with that one fixated so they seem like they've got a wonderful relationship red and mandy they seem to love their quiet lives they talk about a bunch of boring shit they talk about their favorite planets mandy goes walking i guess to work one day she walks by a van and this whole scene is just bathed in red And inside this van is this weirdo religious cult called the Children of the New Dawn. And their leader, Jeremiah Sand, who looks like a cult leader. I love this guy, by the way. The casting is is perfect for this guy. But he sees Mandy and just, like, instantly wants her. And he's talking to his uh, uh, cohorts later on. And he speaks to his mother, Marlene, I think is her name. Yeah. And, And Brother Swan. And so, okay, I wanted to say, I can't remember, I think it was Brother Swan, maybe it was Mother Marlene. Both of those actors are Irish actors. Mother Marlene is played by, I have no clue how to, I, the Irish language is, is a true abomination in terms of uh, <laughs> pronouncing it, right? So I have no no idea if I'm getting this right, but Olwen Fuere, and she, uh, <laughs> I bring her up because she plays... Sally Hardesty in the recent Netflix Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot because Marilyn Burns died. Oh. Brother Swan is also played by an Irish guy named Ned Dennehy. One of these two actors, I don't remember which one, their Irish accent slipped through many times. And I was kind of enjoying that because they all, everyone in this movie is playing an American but it's just like, oh, yeah, that person's an Irish actor. I just I just know there's just something about the you way know, they I say I didn't even things. notice. I didn't even notice, That's but fine. I'll believe you. But, yeah, so Jeremiah Sand orders Brother Swan to kidnap Mandy. It's Mother Marlene that does some reconnaissance work at the gas station where Mandy works, and she learns that she lives in the area. She says something like they live on Crystal Lake or something. That's got to be a reference, right? Yeah, and I don't know why. If, if this is a movie that's, like, filled with horror references, sure. But if it's not, you just have, like, one. It's just weird, right? Yeah. There's, there's movies out there where, like, every car- character is named, like, someone Carpenter, Jamie Lee something, you know. Like, yeah, you're just Michael taking, like, Voorhees. horror actors directly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's movies like that. Maybe it's... Maybe it's supposed to be hippy-dippy. An accident? Maybe, oh, yeah, that yeah I don't know. I mean, you do see the lake, and it is, like, incredibly clear. Like, it that certainly looks like a place that would be called Crystal Lake. Yeah. As opposed to the lake at the end of Friday the 13th Part 3, which looks like a fucking Black sewer. cesspit. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's, 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 I would never... Sewer? Yeah, I would not boat. <laughs> yeah, I would does. not even <laughs> boat in there. At night, 
Brother Swan and Jeremiah Sand show up to Mandy's house in their van. And they also have like a low-ranking member of the cult who looks like Augustus Gloop in the Willy Wonka remake. They're ready to sacrifice him because apparently they need to a sacrifice for this other group that they bring in. And they bring in these guys by blowing into the horn of Abraxas. And this is the first moment where it's like, what the, what is this movie? Okay, first <laughs> what off. Is, it's just like, what? First off, I was blown away by this scene. Secondly, horn of Abraxas. Like, you, like, you hear that a lot or like the name Abraxas and essentially it's just like a bullshit name. Is it? Yeah, like I looked into it, Abraxas. So I've seen I've seen the Jesse Ventura movie, and that's a bullshit movie. I'll tell you <laughs> that. But I mean, I don't, I don't know. Well, like Abraxas, I think was the name of an Egyptian god, but ever since then, it's been used by like occultists just to I I don't know to make it sound just to more, sound official. I, I think so. And also, I think the guy blows into a fucking ocarina, doesn't he? I guess so. Yeah, it reminds me of the thing that they blow into in Legend in, of Zelda. Um, well, I oh. know me with video games. I was going to say in Jurassic Park 3 to make raptor noises. Oh. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> yeah, that too, sure. Yeah, well, I think it's an ocarina. But this scene, dude... <laughs> I was blown away. Okay, so again, my first time watching this. I do not remember Cenobites being in this movie. I'll just say that much. Yes. So they blow this horn thing. And I'm like, this is cool. I don't know what's going on, but it's cool. And then next thing you know, out of the mist, these like three motorcycles roll up. Well, you want you want to call them motorcycle cycles because it's like it's like a biker gang with like a out of Mad Max or something. At least one of them's riding an ATV. Yeah, exactly. That was yeah, weird. yeah. One's That's on an not ATV. a motorcycle. No, but these guys show up and I, like I thought I was like I don't know where this movie's going, but I'm blown away. They look like the three horsemen of the apocalypse on their metal. Well, how steeds. many are there? I, that there's was three something of them. that there's only three because it seemed like there are more. No, no, there's but, only okay. three. Who are these people a mix of? We're gonna, um, I'm gonna list a few here. There's Cenobites is the first one. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of Orc, Urukai going yes, on there. yeah, yeah. A little bit of the Gimp from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> and a little bit of, like, the Road Warrior, right? I was gonna, I was gonna chalk them all up to Cenobites and Road Warrior. I'm just thinking of Orcs with how they talk. Yeah, that is so cool. So, I think, like, one guy... Is like in like a gimp suit with like a like a funky looking mask on. Another guy has like nails all over him, and that's the Cenobite one. And I forget what the third guy looks like. They're fucking awesome. Whatever these things are, they're fucking awesome. And the one he's like growling. He's like really low. I had to put subtitles on because I couldn't even understand it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Bring us more blood." <laughs> he like yeah. They this. require a sacrifice. Is, yeah, is the but- gist of. Well, and because like this movie's so weird, I thought he was like downing like a like a mug of blood, but it turns out later in the movie you discover that it's like acid. <laughs> it's LSD or yeah, something. Yeah, the mug, but there's they also do coke. Yeah, lots of coke. Yeah. And they all um, like to watch yeah, porn. But well, one of them watches porn. Um, <laughs> first of all, my goodness, how are we forgetting the most important part of this movie? So yes, one of these Cenobites watches porn. But what do Nick Cage and Mandy watch? They watch the 1982 schlock classic Night Beast. Hello. I don't know why, but it's amazing. It's like the opening scene of Night Beast. I've seen that film plenty of times. It's it's wonderful. I mean, it's it's terrible. It's truly awful. But 
But yeah, this is a this is a cult classic in the making, I assume. Well, I, you know, 20, I, I be... 20 years from now, they're going to be showing this. Even maybe maybe 10 years from now, they're going to be showing this in theaters for like like cult movie nights or whatever. I, I would I would expect that. I mean, if theaters still exist, of course, but um, or if the sun doesn't blow up between now and then. But no, I, I would expect <laughs> that there will be people watching this on, on television just as Mandy and Red are watching Night Beast so intently. No, this yeah, this is a. I was surprised this movie made as little money as it did because I feel like I heard a lot of people talking about this when it came out. How much did it make? Like one point something million. It was like what? not. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like feel like this isn't an obscure movie. No, but I mean, then you have people like me who have always wanted to see it, then just never got around to it until yeah, this so podcast. We have you to blame. So. Yeah, exactly. I should have seen the movie a hundred million times, damn it. Or I have myself to blame because I waited until it was a Shutter exclusive, which it isn't even anymore. I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah, thanks, which, Patrick. That, that reminds me. Okay, so this is the thing. So Mandy was released by or maybe made under RLJE Films. I'm fascinated by this uh, company. But this they see you know A24 has gotten a ton of publicity. A24, like, wins Oscars now, and there's, like, people out there that are, like, A24 fans. There's this one obnoxious guy that I see on TikTok every once in a while who, like, just talks about movies, and in every single video he does, he's wearing an A24 hat, which I feel like is a cell phone, whether he knows it or not, because people... <laughs> yeah. there There are people out there that act like A24, like, invented thoughtful cinema. And then, like, anything other than A24 is just, like, Marvel bullshit, which it's not. But I bring up A24 because I feel like RLJE is, like, A24 with less PR, you know? It's, like, they feel like they, they've put out some kind of similar work. Like, doesn't Mandy feel like it could have been an A24 film? Yeah. And, it's yeah. a slow-moving, thoughtful, weird, violent movie that's, like, kind of a horror movie, kind of not. Yeah, what's the company called again? RLJE Films, and I'll, I'll list some other movies that they've put out. And, and um, they put out Puppet Master The Littlest Reich, which is a classic, but <laughs> I, I bring up that because that also, at one point, was a Shutter exclusive, and now it's not. They put out Satanic Panic, which is, you know me, I don't really like horror comedies. I enjoyed that one. They've done uh, The Pale Door, which that's another one that was a shutter exclusive I, I i fear that one has bit the dust as well i don't know what <laughs> shutter shutter just has something against rlje fil- films now maybe sun that was another shutter one yeah a lot of these are like oh i've seen these on oh no they did oh, no. apex with bruce willis oh. so they've done okay this so <laughs> no. not everything they do is quality i get it uh, but but no they've done some like really really good stuff there seems to be a thing too with them where, for whatever reason, the filmmakers that work for this company seem to... Cosmatos arguably does it better than anyone, but this kind of coloring, the lighting, this seems to be a big RLJE thing. I don't know why that is. I don't but know. But the kind of... The real stylistic looks of the movies. I feel like a lot of their movies... Oh, another RLJE film, by the way, that feels like it could be an A24 film, Bone Tomahawk, the Kurt Russell... Cannibal See, Western. now, I haven't seen that. I feel like I'd like it. And I haven't seen... You probably seen... would. You, you, you like Kurt Russell. Yeah. I do love yeah, Kurt I, Russell. I think you would like that movie. I haven't seen any of the movies that you've listed, by the way. I know of them, especially Apex. And The Little Strike. Yeah, and The Little Strike. 
I've mentioned that <laughs> film numerous times. It's arguably the best Puppet Master movie. It was really good. But now, do you think, uh, fuck, what's it called again? A, what, a, what, R.L. Stein, the company? Um, yes, R.L.J.E. Uh... <laughs> Wait, can you say it again for me? Jesus. <laughs> Come on, just use your ears. I'm not saying it again. <laughs> One more time, please. R.L.J.E. R.L.J.E. Yeah, I feel like maybe they know how good a lot of their stuff is, and maybe it's just like a word of mouth thing, or maybe they're trying to keep budget down by not doing like a lot of promotion, right? Though Mandy was promoted really well, I feel. Well, not well enough to break two million, though, unfortunately. I mean... But, you know, this is a sleeper hit, right? Like, I think it's going to pick up Steam, pick up in DVD sales or downloads or whatever, or, or digital buys. <laughs> dvd right? sales yeah that's Sorry. something that, yeah. that people do am now. i dating myself i'm no. <laughs> you know, a 30 year old man mayhem is another one which that's good that again i these are all like these were all these were all shutter exclusives i don't know if they are anymore but mayhem is is i believe the first film i ever saw on shutter and i'm curious what what if anything happened between shutter and rlje to um or maybe if they just had an expiration date on these shutter exclusive things that these films signed i I, it's probably just the simple answer but i don't know but yeah rlje i feel like a lot of people out there that are like huge a24 stands that feel like real films are only made by a24 i feel like they could probably find themselves a decent amount of rlje films that they would enjoy yeah, check it out. If a lot of them are, are as interesting, they don't even have to be as good as Mandy, but as interesting as Mandy, then check them out. All right, so where were we? Oh, we were the Horn, uh, Horn of Abraxas, and so these uh, Cenobites show up. These Cenobites, we find out later, are the Black Skulls, and I guess they're human? Okay, so this really pissed me but off. But their introduction, you would not think they're human. No, you're led to believe that they're like these demons that were called out of the out of the mists of... Avalon yeah, they're like whatever, called right? in a supernatural way, right? The Horn of Abraxas. Yeah, but it turns out that you discover later through one of Nick Cage's friends that they are some bikers that used to run LSD for some drug guy. And then they got a bad batch once and took a bunch of LSD and it just fucked them up forever. Yeah, and again, they don't I even feel pain now. Uh-huh. So I mentioned um, orcs earlier, the Urukai, with how they talk. There's a Gollum quality to these guys where it's like how Gollum used to be a hobbit and he's just been corrupted and he oh, basically yes. became a monster. That's kind of what these things are. They're not really human anymore. They're not They're not really presented as human. Yeah, and which, dude, this would be a great premise for like a horror movie. You have this band of fucked up bikers. They got super fucked taking crazy acid. Like, wouldn't that be really cool? sure okay <laughs> i mean well, no i i'm just i'm i was trying to think there probably is a horror movie out there exactly like that psychomania might be that exact story i've never seen it oh and by the way speaking of weird things and weird filmmakers rlje films this is uh produced by among others elijah wood yeah i saw that yeah elijah wood's career has had a few different phases first phase child actor flipper back to the future part two north Second phase is pretty much just Lord of the Rings and maybe Eternal Sunshine. He does a few other movies. Third phase is like, I'm not interested in being famous. I'm just going to make weird movies, whether I'm producing them or acting in them. Listen, I'm not going to say it's better than the second phase because the Lord of the Rings films are amazing. But Elijah Wood has been a huge voice in kind of 
movies that really wouldn't have been mainstream like 10 years ago kind of moving into the mainstream a bit because his name he's the lead role in some of the biggest movies ever made his name has a certain amount of clout and yet he just goes out there and does these weird movies like he produced a girl walks home alone at night which is this like weird black and white vampire movie that's like i think in the persian language or something and it's like that movie's awesome and it's like elijah wood is just throwing his name on that just to get it out there that's that's cool i respect that and this is a movie like that that is cool and respectable and you have to wonder if he's kind of doing that because lord of the rings was kind of in a similar boat where studios were taking a huge gamble on it right nobody knew yeah, if it that's was going to be successful or not so they're like that's look. a good point and i think like it was something like look you can make one <laughs> movie and we'll give you like 10 million dollars and peter jackson's like how about three <laughs> yeah a hundred million <laughs> I, I I also well it was actually it was, you're getting it the, the other way around. Peter Jackson originally wanted to make two, and it was Robert Shea that said, "Hey, aren't there three books? Make three movies." And yeah. it was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah. okay." I, and and I think Peter Jackson just didn't expect any studio to tell him to make three, so that was why he went in with two. That's exactly yeah, it. Yeah. I I also think there's an element of Elijah Wood. He's just set for life. He doesn't need to be big Hollywood leading man if yeah. he wants to star in a remake of maniac that no one will see he'll do it so anyways the cenobites get into mandy and red's house <laughs> <Cenobites. laughs> Sorry. it's really creepy they do this like weird they have this like weird effect on electricity or something where the lights are like flickering on and off and and it's like genuinely like terrifying to look at it to see these like evil gimps moving around as they kidnap Mandy, they also beat up on Red, and then we also see that little fat, uh, what's his name, Augustus Gloop, getting killed <laughs> outside. Yeah. Mandy wakes up with the cult. She's with Mother Marlene and Sister Sister Lucy. And then so they drug her, and then they take her to meet the cult leader, who is this um, this Jeremiah Sand guy. This scene is pretty crazy. This scene is particularly entrancing. Again, the lighting super stylized, and then and then it's the all, effect of of the yeah of I don't it's like I don't know how to describe it. it's like wavy the wavy effect the the dual yeah. exposure effect I don't know yeah I've never I've never done the kinds of drugs that they force Mandy to take in this movie but I mean you feel like you're on something watching this like because <laughs> it's it's. Yeah, I don't know how to describe it. Wavy is a good a good way to describe it, but if you want to be like specific, it's like you almost see like the outline of everything and it the time works a little differently where like it's delayed. Yeah, Sand will have his arms up and then he'll bring his arms down and you can still kind of see his arms up like kind of in the background. And I don't know how they did it. You know, I I'm not a filmmaker i'm it's it's probably not as complicated as as we're making it out to seem but it's certainly interesting well there's also a, a great shot in this scene where jeremiah is talking to mandy but both of their faces kind of meld together two or three times that was crazy and i that one of all the moments in this movie that one most made me like question you know am i imagining this do me this, too like, i was starting am to I freak on out something <laughs> yeah so like, <laughs> sorry go on yeah Okay, so we got to talk about Jeremiah Sand. He is a Christian cult leader. Well, well, I mean, Christian in that he's not like a weirdo Satanist or anything. Like he he believes that he has a special relationship with God, or or that he is he is a different God that was just never like recognized. 
Yeah, I guess so. I don't know, but he he uh, he uh, introduces <laughs> introduces his ideas by playing his music, which it's, <laughs> it's on this old record player, and it's just, it's just like terrible like psychedelic folk music. It kind of reminded me of the uh, Bout of Bilbo Baggins, the That's Leonard Nimoy ex- yes, song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like kind of terrible. Yeah, and and while this is playing, it gets really quiet in in the soundtrack, and Sand like leans in closely to Mandy and is talking to her about all that you know. He he claims he met God and God told him that you know you can have everything that you want or whatever. Like it's, it's really long. I'm I'm oversimplifying it, but it's also ultimately not that important. This guy just thinks he's God's gift to Earth, basically. He thinks he's but hot in, shit. Exactly. <laughs> and then this is the scene that you were talking about where they it's that close up on him talking. He's looking like right at the camera, and then a couple times they like superimpose her face over him, and I I didn't notice it because I was looking at the eyes because I've always heard that like depending on whatever certain drugs that you take like your your pupil dilation will vastly change so i was like looking at the at the this guy's eyes and i'm like wow those are like crazy dilated eyes and i'm like this looks like this guy's actually on something then i looked down and the mouth wasn't moving even though he was talking and then i like looked up and like wait a second those aren't his eyes those are mandy's eyes and then i saw that that the scar was there yeah the little um (laughs) donald pleasant scar Well, also, also, we we skipped over the most exciting part of this scene. As soon as he puts the record on, he disrobes. Well, sure. And I was about to get to that. So, yes, he, uh, essentially he's trying to seduce her, and she laughs at him. And whether she's laughing at his penis, or just the weird situation, or the song itself, because she does ask him about it, and is like, wait, you made a song about yourself? <laughs> She laughs at him, and then he flips out. And then the next thing we see is Nicolas Cage tied up outside his own house. The cult members show back up there. Sand has Sister Lucy perform Russian roulette on herself to prove how much she loves him, but only the one shot, and she survives. And then Sand stabs Nick Cage, and then they burn mandy alive she's in like a bag yeah and they burn her eventually this is after the cults left this is in the morning nick cage frees himself you know goes over to the ashes sees like the there it's still in like the outline of of her and then he goes back inside and this is the of course the famous cheddar goblin scene (laughs) it just sounds so fake this never would have been a television commercial, and that's part of the joy of it. Because it eventually, at the end of the day, it's just a it, it's a goblin puppet literally puking mac and cheese all over kids. It's, it's like this would never have been a commercial, but it's like kind of amazing. Though that being said, it looks like it's good mac and cheese, to be honest. It does, and it and it looks like I mean, aside from the fact that yeah, this never would have been on television. It looks like an authentic commercial. This looks like something from the eighties, right? <laughs> it does yeah on one hand talk about a drastic tonal shift but also like <laughs> thematically this woman the love of his life dying before him and then him going to her body and it's not even a body it's just ash and then it b- falls over and then there's like nothing and then he goes inside and there's a cheddar goblin commercial on tv it's like thematically it's just like the world doesn't care about what just happened 
Well, you're right, and I think that also, like, that Cheddar Goblin bit kind of signals the beginning of the second half of the movie. You know? I suppose. Where it's like, okay, now things are going to get off the fucking rails. Well, okay, okay, yes and yes, but there's also, this, this movie does something where, like, different title cards come up, as if they don't say, like, chapter one or anything, but that's sort of what they are. Mm-hmm. In this case, the first one that comes up is The Shadow Mountains, 1983, when Mandy walks by the cult in the van, the children of the new dawn comes up. Mm-hmm. And I know Mandy comes up as like a title screen. I think it's even after this, though. I don't remember exactly when in the movie it comes up. I don't remember. I thought it was here. Maybe it is. I, I thought it was after he at least gets his weapons, though. But, uh, you know, I'm not Oh, yeah, I think sure. you're right. I think you're right. So Nick Cage collapses, and then when he wakes up, he goes inside the bathroom, finds a bottle of booze hidden in, like, the the cupboard, like, underneath the sink or something, and just starts drinking it. And this is the most famous scene of the movie, of course. He is in tidy whities with an awesome long sleeve tiger shirt. It's like a baseball shirt kind of style. Yeah, and yeah. he's just drinking the vodka. He's pouring it on his stab wounds. And then he just breaks down. He's screaming, and then it just eventually moves to crying. So this is, you know, every movie needs one, and a great Nicolas Cage freakout scene. This is probably the best. It's If you're watching this movie in the wrong state of mind, this scene is hilarious. If you're yeah. watching it in the right state of mind, this scene is moving. Like, it's just, it, you're just seeing a person just completely lose it. Yeah, I, I was going to think of something else to say, but no, I agree. And you have, because I'll be honest, when I watched I kind of giggled a bit. But you're totally right about having to be in the right state of mind. Yeah, I think so, because, and this is the, the tightrope that you have to do with any kind of Nicolas Cage performance. He's always going to have those moments. But in the right context, those can be powerful, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But Nicolas Cage is a meme. He's maybe becoming less of one now, because people are frequently reminded of his talents but like there was certainly a point where like oh you know Nicolas Cage is a joke there's like everything he does says is hilarious he always has weird hair and it's like yeah but he can be awesome and this is this I thought this was a moving scene yeah you know I think I think the only thing that made it a little less moving for me was I was looking at all like the wallpaper in the bathroom and just the color oh I was looking at his junk the entire time (laughs) Yeah, he's crushing up against that toilet seat when he's sitting down. Yeah. <laughs> the next day, or later that day, or whatever, he goes over to his old friend's house. And this is Bill Duke, is the actor who probably best known for Predator. I know he's an American gigolo. I don't really know what else he's in. He's just like a guy I recognize, though. It's like, oh, I've seen him and stuff, right? Yeah. But he lives in, tr- in a trailer, and Nick Cage goes there to retrieve his crossbow. And he tells him, I'm going to go out hunting. So what you going to do with that thing? I'm going hunting. So what you hunting? It's crazy evil. There's a great bit, because when Mandy's laughing at Jeremiah, he says something like, what do you see? And she said, I see the Reaper fast approaching. And then when Nick Cage shows up to... Yeah, okay. Uh, I See, I missed that, but I know, yeah. He, yeah, Because yeah, he, he refers says, to his for crossbow the as the Reaper. Yeah. Okay. And then this is where we get the backstory on them. They were 
just they were drug runners or something they were some mm-hmm. biker gang and they took some bad lsd and now they're barely human and they like it that way or something like there's some yeah he says something like, like that he saw them once in the woods near some river or something and they were all in like agonizing pain but they loved it and then nick cage also goes and forges an axe <laughs> and of course this is like a heavy metal axe it's like an axe scythe almost yeah it, it looks visually like something like the grim reaper would carry yes a yeah bit. so his hunting commences with he shoots down a black skull out riding at night and then when he goes to drive up to them his car crashes and he is taken in by the black skulls he is nailed one one of his hands is nailed to like a bench and the other is like cuffed to like a pipe and he's being not really interrogated by this black skull but just kind of intimidated right because they're not really asking questions they're just kind of they're playing with their food, if you will. And we do see that they do eat people. It's, it's in this scene coming up. Or at least I think that's what that was. Because there was like definitely a chunk taken out of that guy's ass, right? So, I don't know. Because shortly after that, you see the, the Cenobite biker. And he's got, like a, yeah. he's got like a knife penis. Oh, okay. So, I don't know. Because like, they start fighting and, and he falls to the floor, but his knife penis gets stuck in the floor. And that's how Nick Cage kills him, right? So, he like raped someone to death, I perhaps, think so. is, I is think kind so. of the implication, if that's the case. Okay. But yeah, anyways, he eventually frees himself from the pipe and he beats the Cenobite person with the pipe and then the throws Cenobite him over gimp. a ledge. Yeah. And then eventually he... um. He pulls the nail out, and this is when he goes wandering around the complex. He gets into the living room, which this one guy is just guzzling cocaine, basically, while watching (laughs) porn. And he gets in a fight with this guy and eventually kills him. I don't remember how... Well, you said he gets stuck to the ground. Do you remember how he kills him? Yeah, so, like... uh, Oh, yeah, oh, this is where he does something, and then just the blood pours onto his face. Well, he's got an X-Acto knife, and when the guy gets stuck in the ground above Nick Cage, because Nick Cage is under him, he he slits his throat, and it just shoots out of this guy all over Nick Cage's face. Yeah, because the the famous image of Nick Cage, unless he's in his tidy whities drinking vodka is just blood <laughs> covering his face and that's what he's like the rest of the movie the initial cenobite that he beat shows back up and he eventually overpowers them and kills them and this is when he reclaims the reaper and um his axe and he also stumbles upon this jar well first off he does a bunch of coke well, yes, that's right. Yes, yeah. He's literally got coke, like, just all over his face. <laughs> um, and then he also gives himself LSD, I guess, too, because it's this jar of, like, Nickelodeon slime. And um, he just touches a bit of it, puts it on his tongue, just, like, a tiny bit, and he immediately is able to, like, trip, and he has a vision of, like, a radio tower. <laughs> yeah, and, like, and the skin melting off of his face and stuff like that. Well, sure, that's amazing, yeah. And then he uh, goes outside. There's another Cenobite at a uh, burning car. He shoots an arrow into this guy's neck, and then the person has, like, no reaction, basically. So then he goes up to him, and they, he has a an axe versus knife fight, and as this person is taunting him by saying, you know, the, your wife she burned, burned bright. Yeah. He kicks this guy into the fire, 
person starts on fire and then he beheads them. And then because this movie is so cool, he uh, lights his cigarette from the burning head. <laughs> um, and then he uh, takes the ATV and rides off. He, he finds the radio tower and goes into like a bunker. And this uh, bunker, that we have the chemist, who there was a, one line earlier about the chemist. The chemist is the guy that makes all these drugs. And you think there's going to be like an intense fight scene or something because the chemist, played by Richard Brake, has a tiger in a cage. <laughs> and you think, oh my God, he's going to fight a tiger. But no, he doesn't. The chemist actually helps this guy because he sees him. He's like, oh my God, they did a number on you. And then he basically just tells him, he's like, yeah, I know who you're looking for. Head north. Yeah, well, the, the whole, like, interaction between these two characters... Nick is Cage does not say a thing. It's, it's not kind a of, fucking it's word. It's really great, yeah. And then the, the chemist releases the tiger, because, like, Nick Cage is, like, staring at the tiger, then him, and he goes, Oh my god, you're right. And he just releases the tiger. He goes, You're free. Goodbye, Lisa, or whatever the fucking tiger's name was. Lizzie. Lizzie, that's it. <laughs> but yeah, Richard Brake, uh, I don't know how familiar with this guy you are, Jim, but... Not at all. He's awesome. He's 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 a Rob Zombie regular. He's kind of you know because Sid Haig passed away recently. He's kind of replaced Sid Haig in that revolving cast of um, or not revolving. It's the same cast every time. The Rob Zombie cast, right? <laughs> because it's 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 always Sherry Moon. It's always uh, Bill Mosley, and it was always Sid Haig. And it's like okay, no Sid Haig. Now we got Richard Brake. But he's great. He's 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 usually like a villain. He's the Night King in at least a season or two of Game of Thrones, where he's the head ice zombie. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, he's a he's a great actor, and he's, he just gets the one scene here, but he, he's awesome. So, Nicolas Cage heads north. He scouts out this church, which is in, like, a valley, and it's, like, it's just a perfect triangle. It's like a—isn't one of the buildings in Midsummer like that? Like, I think where, maybe where they burn the— guy in the bear costume yeah i think it's kind of like a similar kind of building to this but yeah he scouts it out and then he eventually sets up a trap for the van when it goes by and but it's just two people in the van it's brother swan and sister lucy he beats the shit out of um brother swan and kills him yeah, well, he stabs his cool knife axe scythe right down his yeah. throat, and the gurgling noise is disgusting. Yeah, and he keeps going. And, uh, and eventually he just looks at Sister Lucy, and he just lets her go. And I think he, he recognizes that she in particular was essentially a slave when, when she was when she had to do the Russian roulette thing. Well, and also, when Mandy was being burned alive, everybody was, like, super happy about it and, like, cheering and, like, licking their lips and stuff. She was the only one that looked terrified. That's right, I forgot And didn't that. want to yeah. be there. Good point. Good point. Well done, Jim. Thank that's you. A, that's a point for you. You're approaching zero now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. Thank you. <laughs> so the next, um, next cult member to bite the big one just gets an axe thrown in in his head and then nick cage finds a chainsaw on the ground he takes it he has trouble starting it up but he approaches another cult member who pulls out a comically large oh yeah it's chainsaw. like six feet long or whatever <laughs> yeah it's it's like a, the broadsword of chainsaw i know it's actually really cool because like nick cage has like this you know like it's just normal a normal chainsaw one, right? yeah and this guy just pulls out this giant fucking <laughs> six foot long it looks awesome 
And the way it's framed too behind that log pile, like you think he's just pulling out a normal one, and then he keeps pulling it. <laughs> it's just like it's almost like a comedy shot. But yeah, this is they have a big chainsaw fight, and it's pretty awesome. And then eventually the chainsaw falls out of Nick Cage's hands and he can't get to it. And this other guy has the chainsaw, but then Nick Cage just grabs a chain, no saw, and just (laughs) throws it around this guy, wraps it around his neck, and then just pulls him onto the ground and he falls on top of the still running chainsaw. Such a brutal way to go and such a brutal scene. Also one of the least gory deaths of the movie, believe it or not, because the way it's shot, it's the shot overhead where yeah. he falls on the chainsaw and you, you see some blood, but it's also dark and, you know, like there's some really gory stuff in this movie, of course. Nick Cage goes into the church and he goes into this like secret passageway and then he comes across Mother Marlene. Mother Marlene attempts to seduce him saying that... <laughs> yeah, right, bitch. <laughs> saying that uh what's that uh jeremiah says that she's the most sensual lover uh, sensual lovers because she has empathy and is able to like whatever she's doing she can read her partner's moves before they make them (laughs) and then the next we see of her it's just her head being thrown to um (laughs) jeremiah jeremiah is in this like rotunda area this like underground rotunda and he just throws the head at him and then he steps in and jeremiah at first isn't really begging for his life but i mean he kind of is but he's doing it in a way where he's like don't you see that you know all of what you've done this has led you to me this is this has led me led you to me i am your source of salvation Mm -hmm. i can do whatever and it's like okay this is kind of you know if you're a weirdo religious cult leader like sure that's how you're gonna look at the situation when you can but then eventually he recognizes that Nick, Nick Cage isn't saying anything to him and it's not working. And then he's eventually like, please, I will suck your dick. Like, I'll do anything. And and Nick Cage takes his head in his hands and just squeezes it to the point where that eyeballs pop out, or at least one does, a little Friday the 13th Part 3 homage. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. And then he burns that body. And as he's leaving, we also see that the entire church sets on fire. And he gets into a a car and he drives off and while he drives off he has like flashbacks to this is probably his first time meeting mandy he just they they lock eyes across like a i don't know some kind of party or something yeah like Um, a bar exactly and then um as he's driving off he imagines her in the passenger seat and he looks at her and he smiles and it's the most like crazy person smile it's totally deranged Yeah, and and again, he's just covered in blood. It's amazing. And then he just continues driving off, and that is the end of Mandy. Jim, your first time watching it, what did you think of it? I I loved this movie. I have never seen anything like it, and I don't know if I ever will see something else like it. I, I can't even begin to describe just how cool this movie is. I felt like I was on a journey. Yeah. In this movie. Then when it ended, it was like, whew, wow, I did that journey. <laughs> I made it, you know? Just the use of color. Everything was just so cool to look at. All the colors and sounds. The score, though, it was really neat. I was going to ask, and I don't think this this probably isn't what you're talking about, but I'm not sure how much of the score to this film is truly a score. 
because I know the opening song that they use, it comes up in the in the opening credits, credits song by King, King Crimson or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a weird thing to see in the credits. I'm not sure how much of the musical score, it might have just been like progressive rock or progressive metal that was lying around somewhere. I'm not really sure. Well, and, and a lot of it was like drowning noises that got progressively louder. Yeah, and that's where I think it, it probably is mostly score. It's it, The movie is scored by... Johan Johansson, which seems like a fake name, <laughs> like a f- right, it does. But <laughs> but he actually passed away, I think, before this movie came out. But he was a respected composer. He's like been nominated for Oscars and stuff. And just everything about this movie, I enjoyed the story, the weirdness, the gore, Nick Cage's performance. It was just so entertaining. And I'm I'm annoyed that I haven't watched this movie before now. How about you, buddy? What do you think? Well, as I mentioned earlier. I like this movie, but it contains everything in it that I hate. So I don't know. I think it's really just the overall style elevates the film. But if you break it down to its, you know, components, chainsaw versus chainsaw fight, like, uh, you know, it's like a lot of this movie feels like it's true. Or it, I should say with a different director, a lot of the movie, I think, would feel like it was trying to be cool. Yeah. And I didn't feel that this film felt that way but any movie where nick cage lights a cigarette from a burning head there's a chainsaw versus chainsaw fight he makes a battle axe that's like straight out of like well a wearing metal sunglasses. album <laughs> there's certainly a world where like with a different filmmaker this would have been a completely different movie and yeah there's a lot of stuff in it that i don't like there's this weird metal element whether it's the axe the the, some of the visuals felt very heavy metal but also even just mandy is wearing motley Crue shirts and even some of the musical score felt kind of a little heavy metal-y but yeah something about the film elevates it beyond that though i mean it's part of it's the performances for sure especially nick cage's cheddar goblin was fantastic (laughs) um cheddar goblin fantastic this movie has like fantasy elements which you know i'm not a big fan of and yet i liked it it's it's hard it's hard to say why other than i guess the movie's just it's a good movie it's well made well you know and like i think genuinely this movie is different from any other movie i've ever seen this movie might actually be a piece of art well well let's let's think about this for a second because on one hand, this in terms of the story, this is just a simple revenge movie. We've seen mm. hundreds of those. So when you say this is unlike anything you've seen, it's not the story, obviously. Well, it's the combination of, like, I guess the specifics of the story and the characters and okay. the setting, just the, the, the effects and the art in it. Like, again, like when, those, when the Cenobites show up and the room is flashing blue. There's just something about it. Like, again, I was just entranced by most of this movie. And I I can't put my finger on exactly what it was or why I'm so into this movie. But I I just have to keep saying it's like nothing I've ever seen before. And I think it's just the combination of all of these things coming together and creating something totally unique. But really, at, at this movie's heart, in terms of the story, in terms of a lot of the details of the story... This is an expo- exploitation film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a chainsaw versus chainsaw fight. That's the only <laughs> other movie I've seen that in is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Eyeballs popping out of heads, like some of the violence and stuff. And then even throwing the drug angle into it. There's so many elements of this that feel like 70s, 80s, schlocky exploitation grindhouse type stuff. 
the film has a different feel to it. It, it. it combines all of those elements into something that feels unique. I guess the only other thing I can say about Mandy is that I need to see this movie again and again because I want to think on it. Because now you've got me thinking, what do I think makes this unique? Why for me is it unique? And I mean, it has to be the visual style, or it's at least that be, has right? to be a like strong component be. of it. Because and, and, and something you said earlier, like if this movie was was taken on by any other director, I don't think it would have turned out nearly as well as it did. Yeah, or it, I mean, it just would have been different, I guess. But yeah, I mean, Eli Roth doing this movie—it's quite frankly, it's a bad movie if Eli Roth directed. But you could say <laughs> that about a lot of movies. But I think you, um, you can say that a lot about, about a lot of Eli Roth movies. Panos Cosmatos certainly he had a clear vision for this movie, and it's a very weird vision. It, it's a it's a vision that I can't imagine would have gotten, you know, ever getting like a huge studio backing or something. That I see the Wikipedia has this budget as six million, which is pretty cheap. And it, I'm not saying the movie feels cheap, but I think you would have trouble getting Warner Brothers to shell out thirty million for a movie like you know the yeah. movie that's just this weird and yeah. And borderline silly. And again, because a lot of the elements I mentioned, you know, you said you laughed a little bit at the Nick Cage bathroom scene. A lot of the elements are like kind of silly. The Horn of Abraxas bringing up these demon biker guys like this is stupid stuff. And that's (laughs) that's the part where it's like it has all these details that I would not like in like any other movie. And somehow it works here. And, And it's the commitment to treating this material seriously i guess is something that i kind of admire and wouldn't really expect you know from a movie that's this weird yeah and i mean it should certainly be commended because it is played so straight and it is played in a kind of almost like a fantasy horror yeah there's certainly the horn of abraxas anytime you're Bringing a horn of Abraxas into the into this thing, you know? well, then, and, and, and then again, even like, just like the the like, does this take place on Earth? There's that like last shot. It's like where it's like this giant planet, which I assume is uh, Jupiter, and it's like okay, what what is that? Yeah, and there's like crazy know, mountains really and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know, but it was fantastic. I think, anyways. And it's if like you Elijah Woods Mandy, producing it, it's it. like that's it. We're setting it in Middle Earth, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Jim, which of these two movies, The Big Boss or Mandy, do you prefer? Mandy, all the way. And, you know, as much as I like Bruce Lee, I just, again, Mandy was something completely different for me. Mm -hmm. And Nick Cage's performance was better than anything you'd see Bruce Lee do, I think, other than, like, kicking and punching. But then Nick Cage did so many cool fucking things in the movie. Yeah. So, I mean, it it just... Bruce Lee doesn't fight a dude with a chainsaw. No, exactly, yeah. He, the coolest thing he does is try to rip somebody's guts out you know still pretty cool it is pretty pretty cool how about you patrick which one do you prefer more i agree with mandy i mean you said you know mandy it's unlike anything you've really seen before yeah and whereas the big boss that's just a worse version of turner and hooch i'm sorry but um (laughs) in all seriousness though i mean yeah mandy's better it's a more satisfying watch it's longer it's slower and yet I'm more engaged in the story. And it's not that there's more story, because I think both films are kind of light on story. There's not too much to either of them. But the filmmaking draws you into it more. The the yeah. Panos Cosmatos filmmaking, the cinematography, the score. But yeah, anyways. So, Jim, 
How do you think this works as a drive-in double feature? I think it works, but it like it just squeaks by because the big boss is just I don't know, like it's just kind of boring and it is kind of like a revenge movie sort of. Yeah. But it's kind of like like a loose revenge movie, like it it, it doesn't turn into a re- revenge movie until like halfway through. And uh Well, it, so that's that is how I mean, Mandy's kind of like that too, but that Mandy is, true. is full revenge mandy is like that is what it is more than it's an action or a horror movie or a fantasy movie whatever else you want to call it it's a revenge movie yeah yeah but you have normal kind of straightforward revenge movie with bruce lee and then you have crazy fucking bizarre way out of left field revenge movie with nick cage and the bruce lee's a great setup for nick cage but again it almost it almost doesn't work for me because the big boss is kind of so slow and normal it's interesting you say that because I would say Mandy's slower. Yeah, like, I think Mandy more is slower, but I think all the crazy stuff going on in Mandy keeps you interested longer than than your interest in the big boss. Well, I agree with some of what you said. I think it's a pretty good double feature. I, I do like the revenge aspects of both films. Both films kind of get increasingly violent as they move along. I mean, mm-hmm. but nothing in the big boss is as violent as like anything in Mandy, but it's kind of the the opener you know we're opening with this kind of violence and we can go crazier later on you know i would be saying the same thing if we followed up the big boss with the street fighter which is basically a bruce lee film on steroids with you know gallons of blood being thrown around and that's why the street fighter is one of the greatest films ever made but mandy i'm not sure if it's one of the greatest films ever made but but it's a damn good one and yeah, well, I liked it better than The Big Boss, I think. I think it makes her a good double feature. I think you get two very different revenge movies, two very different takes on the genre. All right, well, Jim, do you want to hear about what we're doing next time? Because we have not of course, talked always. about this. But this is our, this next episode is going to be the one in which our patrons pick our double feature. We had a vote on Patreon and can't say I'm pleased with the results, but we got some interesting ones. We're breaking our rules here. We're doing sequels before the originals, Uh-oh. but we are doing The Lost World Jurassic Park, one of the worst films Steven Spielberg ever directed, <laughs> and the 1998 American Godzilla. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> a couple of movies that certainly meant a lot to me in my childhood, and I know at least you have talked about you kind of grew up with the American Godzilla, right? Yeah, and I don't know how, and Jurassic how Park. recently I asked for this movie for, okay. my, for Christmas one year. Okay, and I don't know how recently you've revisited them, but yeah, they neither of these. I love both these movies as kids, and they did not hold up as an adult. But that's that's why they're fun to fun to revisit because you can kind of be like, oh, they, I remember loving this as a kid, and it's like, oh, I don't know why I liked this as a kid. You know, you can kind of just psychoanalyze your past self here. I also forgot Hank Azarias in uh, Godzilla, isn't he? Some weird, weird casts in, in both those movies, if we're being honest. Jeff Goldblum also has a black daughter. I don't know what that's about, but we'll, we'll, but we'll get into it. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, well, who knows? Maybe we'll feel differently when we actually do those movies, but I suspect we will be doing our patrons pick again next season. So if you want to be, a, if you missed out this time and you would like to be a part in the future, check us out at patreon.com slash revenge of the drive-in and thanks for joining me jim and we will catch you guys next time take care